Broadcasting live to the world now. It's Sheila Zelensky. This is a very sinister Luciferian eugenics plan. These spineless weasels preach what people want to hear. They replace repentance with dreams of the good life. Mindless minions. Dying daily, taking up your cross, suffering and sacrificing have been superseded with name it and claim it. And as dark as I know it looks out there, the good news is that God is advancing his kingdom. And it's very exciting to be a part of his great commission. It's Sheila Zelensky. The Sheila Zelensky Show, the only show to give you the truth behind the headlines, prophecy, and the deeper things of God. Now, here is your host, end time watchwoman, Sheila Zielinski. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Sheila Zielinski Show for this Tuesday, April 19th, 2016 edition. Today, I do not have a guest. I'm going to do a teaching called Invading Enemy Territory, and I hope you'll be very blessed by this teaching. I'm going to read from Matthew 4, 23 and 24. I think this is very important because when we see the scripture, we see that Jesus went about all Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom, teaching in the synagogues, and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease amongst the people. That's what it says. So let's read in Matthew 4.23 here. And his fame went through all Syria, and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with divers diseases and torments. Divers there means a lot. (laughs) And those who were possessed with devils, and he healed them. Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom, and guess what? He commissioned his disciples to do the same. Please write these scriptures down. Luke 10, 9, Luke 17 to 20, Mark 16, 15 through 8, and Matthew 10, 1, 7, and 8. And it should be noted there that the content of his charge is very similar, whether given before or after his resurrection. So, Modern disciples have this promise, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I shall do, he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. John fourteen twelve through 14 As a person moves into the shadowy realms of the demonic, There are few guideposts and there's even fewer friends to encourage you. When you get into this, the obstacles will mount higher than you've ever dreamed possible. I really believe that few are able to tread this dark path without their hearts failing them for fear. The Word of God spells out broad outlines of the spiritual world. Now, understanding this and acting upon it, they're about as different as reading about a war from actually fighting a war. In the warfare itself, there's got to be tactics adapted to the situation being confronted. 
The deceitful enemy is full of wiles and bitter hatred and fights viciously with every trick at his disposal. We know this because it says in the word, Satan kills, steals, and destroys. And let's not minimize that. The word kill, that's pretty significant. The gospel of the Lord Jesus provides a full ministry for man's needs. First and foundational is evangelism and winning people to Christ. And thank God for the thousands of dedicated witnesses who pass out tracts, preach, witness. They lead many to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. But moving further into the promises of God, not nearly so many are engaged in the healing and deliverance ministry and in exercising the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Yet these two are included in the Great Commission. In fact, one-third of Jesus' ministry would have been healing. One-third of it would have been deliverance. So that's two-thirds of the Great Commission. I really like this thing that Donald Jacobs said. He said, The casting out of demons was an act which had crucial importance to the witness of Jesus Christ, for it proved without a doubt that his power exceeded the power of the enemy. You know, it wasn't as though Jesus just arbitrarily ran across the phenomenon of demons here and there, and then he just finally had to do something about it. No, on the contrary, casting out demons was a crucial, if not indispensable part of his ministry. His dialogue with the demons and his power over them laid bare the central facts of his incarnation victory over the enemy of men's souls. He could spoil the enemy's goods, and he did. And it also said he made an open show of them. Think about Peter and John. You know, it wasn't like they just all of a sudden decided to have the little standard prayer, Lord, if it be thy will, please heal this dear man. But if not, give him grace to bear his affliction bravely and enable him to be a great witness and testimony. No, give me a break. Instead, these men directly commanded him to be well in the name of Jesus Christ. Bible principles do work. Where there's faith in believers, Romans 10, 17 tells us, the miraculous, including power and authority over demons, will still be manifested to the glory of the Lord Jesus. Believers can be set free today. There are a lot of people with a lot of afflictions. And there's an old military maxim that says, the more you know, of an enemy's tactics, his strengths and weaknesses, the more you're able to cope with him successfully on the battlefield. And most of these armchair tacticians, they'd fare poorly in an actual encounter with the power of darkness. There's a desperate need to throw the local churches of Jesus Christ onto a wartime footing. You know, forget these tea parties and programming events. We've got to get on to the main business of giving basic training to soldiers, enabling them to stand fast in this evil day, according to Ephesians 6.13. By way of warning, Paul wrote, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. We are all involved in warfare here. We're in a battle, and peacetime measures will not do. Jesus and the church he founded were rugged and strong, The apostles brought a flaming, relevant message of salvation for the soul and healing and freedom from severe demonic bondage. And too many churches today are only a pale, anemic imitation of the real thing. And oftentimes, members, they end up fighting each other instead of the deadly hosts of hell. What does 
Galatians 5.15 warn us there, but if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye may not be consumed of one another. We need believers who will throw all into the struggle to set people free of the awful bondage of demonic affliction. It's hellish. We have to recover ourselves from the snare of the devil and not with half measures. What does 2 Timothy 2.26 say? It says, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. And one of the amazing tactics that's being used I see nowadays, it is a basic idea being promulgated in the church that you shouldn't talk about Satan and the evil spirits. If you talk about it, you give it power. Don't mention the devil at all. Nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, that gives demons and the devil the concealment they desire. The need in this day of apostasy and fierce spiritual warfare is for men of God everywhere to arise and cry aloud. Once more, God's people are being, what does it say in Hosea 4.6? Destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And this is not because they know too much. You know what demons fear? They fear exposure. And this actually explains the abuse and the ridicule and the hatred that's heaped upon people that are out there exposing demonic activity, people that are in the deliverance ministry. Satan's going to smear and vilify a person who's attacking the kingdom of darkness. But Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. In this headlong clash at the evil forces of the spirit world, what you don't know can and does hurt you. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. The fact is that in this world, there's only one group that possesses the authority and power to root and cast out all Satan's evil spirits, and that's believers. And refusing to exercise this divinely given prerogative, that's allowed the enemy to come in like a flood through the unseen world, stealing, killing, and destroying So it's not surprising that Satan has stationed so much of his heavy artillery along the road of deliverance because it threatens a vital area of his work and his program. And it's been long neglected by Christians. Peter didn't have to fight his way through an eager crowd of volunteers in order to climb over the side of the boat to walk on water to Jesus. You're going to find little or no competition if you seek to enter the field of deliverance ministry for Jesus Christ. Definitely, there will be a heavy and determined opposition from Satan. But it's only the Lord's mercies which prevent us from being consumed. I can truthfully tell you that the pressure and attacks triggered by the deliverance ministry are incredible. It's dirty, it's dangerous, it's fierce, and it's hard. But the rewards are lasting and the joy of seeing people set free from awful oppression and bondage is indeed a great reward, and that makes it all worthwhile. And as I stated earlier, the go into all the world ministry of the New Testament church is to be at least threefold. We're to evangelize and win converts to Jesus Christ, one, cast out demons, two, and to heal the sick, three. And essential to that success is the baptism in the Holy Spirit and the charismatic gifts. You know, it seems to me to be fair that we ought at least try for a full-fledged ministry in these areas where Jesus actually gave a specific command. But in the average Bible-believing church, it's crickets chirping about it. Why is that? Don't you think that concealment is telling? 
In his wisdom, God has given the gifts of the Holy Spirit to enable his children to defeat the powers of darkness. And to neglect any one of these supernatural provisions, that's to be left with defenses down in a vital area of spiritual conflict. And in this way, valuable offensive weapons are lost. You got to remember that in his economy, God included exactly what is necessary to cope with the devil. And we shouldn't ignore any of these spiritual weapons. And how incredible it is that the foe has so slyly deceived believers into thinking that some or most of the gifts of the Holy Spirit have been discontinued permanently because they're no longer necessary. That is a lie from the pit of hell. And it's little wonder there's no power in the church. It's not surprising that deliverance and healing is neglected. They go together. Read Matthew eight sixteen through 17. You know, it's sadly true that in Jesus' day, many of those that the greatest knowledge of God's word were the unrelenting enemies of God's work. And today, same thing as the Holy Spirit is restoring his gifts to the church, many who have solid Bible backgrounds, they've become determined enemies of the movement as well. And they're the ones that should be its most enthusiastic supporters. You know, it's amazing that God's repeatedly bypassed large numbers of splendid but unwilling vessels. And instead, he's chosen unlikely people in whom he sees unlimited possibilities. That's you, because the difference lies in your willingness to be used. God's not going to be thwarted by anyone, by the devil or even his own disobedient children. Consider some of the unlikely people he chose in the past. Peter, a cursing fisherman, became the preacher of Pentecost. The harlot Samaritan woman at the well, she brought a whole town to Jesus' feet. While his well-trained seminarians, they only brought a sack of sandwiches. Zacchaeus, a crooked as a barrel of fish hooks, he became an honest man, dramatically demonstrating the change God makes in a life. And a shy but generous little lad donated his lunch and fed a multitude. And then you've got Paul, the most arrogant, zealous, religious bigot. He became a chief apostle and such an incredible example of humility and self-sacrifice. The list is long. You know, there's a lot being said today about suffering and sacrificing on the behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ. But are we rendering lip service or do we mean it? Do we really want to walk the path our Lord Jesus Christ blazed for us 2,000 years ago? Be sure to count the cost before answering. Are you willing to have the Holy Spirit turn the searchlight of conviction upon you in a new and more penetrating fashion? Are you ready for him to expose in you every demonic connection and accommodation? Ask yourself this question. Lord, have I really obeyed your word? Or have I siphoned off that part which will make me despicable in man's eyes? Have I lost the fear of displeasing you through the awful fear of man, which your word says brings a snare in Proverbs 29.25? Is it more worthwhile for me to keep my image or to throw caution to the wind and be ridiculed as a tongue-talking, demon-slaying faith healer? Am I ready for that kind of honesty? What will happen to me if I resist your perfecting work, Lord, as you get rid of the spots and blemishes in me? Can I risk facing your return without the oil of your spirit brilliantly radiating light to all I meet? Remember what it says in Romans 12 too, Do not be conformed to this world 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God wants to make you a pillar, honorable, strong, and holy, because it is a disgrace to be part of an ordinary plan after we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Just remember that every element of our own self-reliance must be put to death by the power of God. And that moment we recognize our complete weakness and our dependence upon Him, well, that'll be the moment that the Spirit of God will exhibit His power. God has a direction for you. If you walk with Him, you'll hear Him. That rear guard. God has something to say today, folks. God's a God of unfathomable mercy and grace, and He's chosen to declare His message through us. Are we worthy of that task? Well, it's hard to wrap our head around because we're so unworthy on our own. But through him, we can do all things. But his people need to be equipped for spiritual warfare, not just singing songs about it, not reading about it, not talking about it, doing it. Folks, we've sung enough songs about going into the enemy's camp. In America, they celebrate July 4th, Independence Day. But we should declare our independence in the fact that the Lamb of God purchased our liberty. God's people are walking around in bondage and affliction. That's an offense to the cross. It says, let every shackle be broken, every bondage be shattered, and that God's people would be ready for war. We should be entering into warfare and being victorious. We got to get rid of pride, folks. The biggest enemy, I believe, other than Satan today is S-E-L-F, self. Too many in the body of Christ today are relying on someone else to do their warfare for them. The fivefold ministry is not so you can sit on the sidelines and watch others do it. There's work to be done. The fields are white. We're called upon to equip you so that what? So that you can go out and battle and equip others. 2 Corinthians 3-6, through 6, what does it say there? For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war in the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ and having a readiness to revenge all disobedience. Our God is a Lord of war and he's called us into war. Jesus said that in this world you will have tribulation. We're at war, folks. This isn't a physical warfare. Yeah, I believe in the Second Amendment, but this isn't about gathering shotguns and 50 cals, storing food, building a bunker and hunkering down. The weapons of our warfare are mighty. They're sufficient. They're mighty. We're more than conquerors. We're overcomers. Well, then, if our faith overcomes the world, then we are God's great army. So if we're God's great army, why are there so many disciples within the body of Christ living in defeat, living in captivity, living in bondage? You say, well, if the devil's under my feet, why is he always on my back? What is going on here? What's the problem? Why are we not having the level of victory that we are supposed to? How can we minister to the brokenhearted when we're still in bondage, when the enemy is running roughshod over our homes and our lives? How can you show others the freedom of Christ if you're not free yourself? We have got to get something back in order here, folks. And so this week, I'm starting a series called The Foundations of Spiritual Warfare. And we're going to get this back in order because I believe 
It is a right now word. God doesn't want you living in captivity, in defeat, and living in bondage. He did not shed his blood at Calvary so you could live a life of defeat. So I hope you will stay tuned. For the next two days, I'm going to be doing a very timely series called Invading the Enemy's Camp, and it's going to be based on foundations of spiritual warfare, and I believe it's going to be life-changing for you. So do tune in to that for the next two days. I hope you're very blessed by it. Thank you for tuning in today, folks. We'll see you tomorrow. Good night, and God bless you.